If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 15 through 20. We'll jump in there in uh, just a second. Uh, Before we jump in there, I just want to say thank you to you guys. Thank you so much for uh, your prayers for our men's retreat. Uh, We had an incredible time together. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about it in a few minutes, but I don't want to go any further without saying thank you uh, to our faith family for praying for our guys as we got away. Uh, I don't know what you believe about prayer. Uh, I believe prayer is the most powerful force in the universe. I believe that prayer is a really big deal. Like it really matters. I believe prayer makes a difference. In fact, I believe that Prayer makes happen things that wouldn't have happened had somebody not prayed. And so thank you so much for praying for us. I believe we got to experience some things on the retreat that we would have missed had you not been praying. So truly, thank you so much for standing in God's presence on our behalf. Well, in Luke chapter 3, we're going to get to hear the voice of God again. If you've been with us over these last few weeks Uh, you know that we've been learning how to hear God's voice. Uh, We began in the Garden of Eden. Uh, We heard God speak to Adam and Eve. We heard God speak to a pregnant Rebecca. Last week, we heard God speak uh, in Psalm 19. We heard God speak through creation. We heard God speak through scripture. And we heard God speak just soul to soul, deep to deep. And today we're going to hear God's voice as he speaks to Jesus. And I trust that as we hear God speak to Jesus in his word, that you will hear Jesus speak to you. That's my hope today, is that you'll hear Jesus speak to you. We're going to start here in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. It's a little bit of context before we hear God speak. So it starts with John the Baptist. John chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 3, verse 15. The prophet... Uh, or excuse me, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John the Baptist, John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not unworthy to untie, or I'm not, excuse me, not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things that he had done, Herod... Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Okay, lots going on here. This is just a little background before we get to the voice of God part. John is baptizing. John's preaching. He's prophesying. He's exhorting. And he's calling people out because of sin. And because of the way that he's preaching, he ends up getting thrown into prison. And some of you might know this, John will eventually die in prison. He'll get beheaded for this whole thing that is going on here. Well, this is the next verse, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, and as Jesus was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. 
Okay, this sounds a little crazy. Uh, this is what is called a theophany. It's a manifestation of God that's tangible to the human senses. Every bit of this is really significant, but just kind of hang out on this idea of the spirit descending in bodily form like a dove. The dove is a biblical sign of peace all the way back to Noah and the ark, all the way back to Genesis chapter eight. The dove is a symbol of peace. The dove is this symbol of the coming of God's peaceful spirit to empower Jesus for his ministry. And it represents the peace that Jesus would impart to all of those who believe. Paul would later describe this peace as a peace that passes all understanding. Paul would later even call Jesus the God of peace. So it's a big deal here. At the beginning of his ministry, this idea of peace. Did you notice when all this took place? Maybe that bit of context. Did you notice that all of this took place while Jesus was praying? I want you to get that. While he was praying, all of this went down. And now here comes the voice of God. Verse 22. A voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. This is significant. This whole scene is significant on lots of levels, uh, theologically and relationally. This New Testament scholar, uh, Daniel, uh, Daryl Brock, Daryl Bach says the primary application of this text comes in its Christology. Many in our culture respect Jesus, regarding him as a religious teacher of great significance and even placing him among the top religious teachers of all time Others even acknowledge him as a prophet, giving him a seat in a rather limited club of divine revealers. But as high as these notes of respect are, they pale in comparison to the biblical portrait. Luke shows that Jesus is not like anyone who came before him or anyone since. The hall of religious fame into which Jesus is placed has only one portrait in it, his. There have been other great teachers, prophets and kings, but there is only one who has combined all of those roles as God's son, and that's Jesus. Relationally, this has great significance. God's voice comes with a guarantee of divine enablement. God's voice comes with divine blessing, and God's voice comes with divine love. It's here, right now, this scene, it's here where Jesus understands his identity. Before he ever preaches a sermon, before he ever prays, before he ever raises anybody from the dead, before he ever walks on water, does anything crazy, he hears the voice of God call him beloved. For Jesus, identity, agency is given it's not something that he's achieved, it's given. Before achievement and ministry, his identity is bestowed. I can't overstate this. I can't make too much of this. We live in a society of performance, of status, of achieving, of controlling. And for many people, including people in the church, our identity is based on our doing, not Jesus. Never Jesus, not here, not in his ministry, not in his death, resurrection, creation. The whole deal is given. Uh, all of that 
all of that stuff that he did, all that he accomplished began when he received, when he received, accepted, and embraced this idea of belovedness. And from there, he began to live and love from this place of belovedness. Okay, let's go back for a second. Let's go back to me and you for a second. Let's go all the way back to the creation narrative. In the creation narrative, as God masterfully puts together the world one day at a time, he stands back and he looks over his all creation and he says, uh, it is good. And then time comes for him to create humankind. Humankind that will be made up of bone and skin and white blood cells and cheeks and a chin and God steps back and then he steps forward and he breathes life into humankind, giving humankind his identity. He creates man in his image and he blesses humankind and he steps back and he says, this is very good. When you and I enter into his life, you too are offered the same identity as Jesus. You too become the beloved one of God. So I want you to hear God's voice. I want you to hear God's voice this morning. Speak this blessing over you. You are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. You are my daughter, whom I love, and with you, I am well pleased. Just about everything, just about everything that we do, just about everything that we think about, just about everything hinges upon our ability to believe and receive the identity that's been given as the beloved. I want to read a passage of scripture that the guys read yesterday morning. It was a scripture that we used for part of our devotional at the men's retreat. And so I just want to read it again from, it's from the, excuse me, this is from the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. I just want you to hear the voice of God. Okay, you ready? Here we go. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid for I am with you. When scripture says Israel, it means Israel. 
And prophetically, it means the church. It means us. It means you. It means me. I'm going to read this passage one more time. I want to invite you to hear it incarnationally. I want you to put your name in this text. I want you to put your heart here. Allow yourself to be immersed in God's voice speaking over you. You ready? You guys with me? But now, this is what the Lord says. He created you. And he formed you. So do not fear, for I have redeemed you, he says. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters and you will pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers and you will pass through rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire and you will walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom. Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I'll give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. What do you think? This is God's word. This is God's voice speaking to you. Let me ask you just a couple questions here as we consider this. What is your greatest fear in allowing God's word to speak directly to you? Like, what if this is for real? What would change in your life if you freely accepted the gift of grace, become the beloved. Let's go back to Jesus for just a second. I've read, well, we should just go back to Jesus, not just for just a second, for like all time. Let's go back to Jesus for eternity. Let's do it that way. Uh, go back to Jesus. I, 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 I've read the Gospels a few times. Um, some of you have read the Gospels. Those of you that have read the Gospels could answer this question easily. And I bet those of you that have never read the Bible could also answer this question easily. This is a yes or no question. Are you ready? Here it comes. Did Jesus ever get cynical or resentful? Okay, this is a yes or no question. No. Okay, thank you. No, the answer is no. Jesus never. <laughs> okay, we didn't go back to Jesus for a long time. Not just for a second. Okay, the answer is no. Did Jesus ever get cynical or resentful? No, no. Okay, good, good. Did, did he ever get burned out? No. I'll just answer it for you. Uh, no. When you read the Gospels and examine his life, there's this sense of faithfulness to his call and vitality in his ministry. And it begins with him hearing the voice of God. 
His father gives him identity. Jesus knows who he is. And now he's ready for ministry. A profound sense of identity is going to lead him into ministry. It was spoken to him. He accepted and received that he is the beloved. And his life is shaped and formed by the voice of God. And it begins right here at his baptism. Okay, I want you to hear the voice of God one more time. Speak to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, uh, just go a couple pages over to Luke chapter 9. We were in Luke chapter 3. Just go a couple pages over to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. This is a scene where Jesus is on this mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration is totally amazing. The first thing that happens is that Jesus is transfigured. He, his body is glorified. Uh, his body undergoes a change in form, even metamorphosis, if you will. And secondly, this is what happened on this mountain is the climax of the identity of Jesus in the synoptic gospels. And Peter, James, and John are gonna see it and hear it and feel it. They're gonna be there for the whole thing. And then Peter's gonna later tell us about it. But here's the thing. The emphasis of what happens on the mountain here, the emphasis is gonna be on suffering. So Luke chapter nine, verse 28 through 31. This is the first part of the scene. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Okay, this is incredible. Um, has anyone here ever had a mountaintop experience? Raise your hand if you've had a mountaintop experience. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mountaintop experience? Some of you guys, like, you're on the mountain, like a mountain high, like everything is really amazing. You had this mountaintop experience. Peter, James, and John are having the very first mountaintop experience. And Jesus is praying. I hope you heard that. I hope you see this thread. Jesus is praying just like Jesus was praying when God spoke to him at his baptism. And while he's praying, he's transfigured. Uh, his appearance has changed, clothes change. And then Moses and Elijah show up. Did you guys catch this? Like Moses and Elijah from way back, those Old Testament guys show up on the top of the mountain. Why these guys? Why these two guys? The appearance of Moses and Elijah, really significant. The name Moses is equated with the Old Testament law that was given to people. Jesus came to fulfill the commandments of the law and did the things that the law could not do. That is, Jesus provided an answer to the problem of sin. The law couldn't do that. The law pointed out the problem. Jesus gave the solution. John chapter one, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, Moses. The second figure was Elijah. Elijah was probably known as the great prophet or one of the greatest prophets. And his appearance alongside Moses at the Mount of Transfiguration testifies that Jesus fulfills the prophets. He fulfills the law of Moses and he fulfills the prophets. There's this encounter that Jesus has with a religious leader, a Pharisee, and uh, 
this guy's kind of challenging Jesus. This is the scene. It's in Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. One of them, an expert of the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, Moses, and all the prophets, Elijah, hang on these two commands. The scene on the mountain says that Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. Did you hear that part when we read it a few moments ago? Luke chapter 9 verse 31 says they spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. What's going to happen at Jerusalem? What do you think these guys are talking about? Jesus is going to suffer in Jerusalem. That's what they were talking about. Jesus is going to be rejected. Jesus is going to be abandoned. And these three guys, Peter, James, and John, they are going to desert him. They're talking about Jesus making atonement for the whole world. On the cross is where Jesus would fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. In Jerusalem, Jesus would become the suffering servant that Isaiah prophesies about. I want to read a pretty good chunk of scripture from Isaiah 53. It's the prophecy of the suffering servant. And I want to invite you to hear Jesus in this prophecy. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Look again at the mountaintop scene. 
I want to read these next verses from Matthew chapter 17. This is verses 4 through 8. Matthew's gospel talks about what's happening here. After Moses and Elijah speak to Jesus about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, Peter speaks up. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I can only imagine this scene. Peter's like, this is awesome. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but I, the voice, the whole change in clothes thing, these two dead guys show up. Like, this is, I can only hear Peter say, this is so awesome. How about we just stay up here? In fact, how about we just live up here? I'm going to put some shelters up. One for you, I will just sleep over here on the ground, but for you guys, I'll take care of it. Peter is saying, this is absolutely amazing. There are so many problems back down there at base camp. Can we just stay up here on the mountaintop? Can we just stay here? True story. I actually thought about this last night at the men's retreat. I'm listening to these guys singing and laughing and praying. At my table yesterday, true story, there's a guy sitting next to me who is 95 years old. And he's sitting across from a guy who's 21 years old. It was the coolest thing. And guys are laughing and singing and crying and praying together. And I thought, can we just stay up here? This is pretty amazing. I don't want to go back. Let me just show you real quick a couple pictures of our mountaintop, our, our mountaintop experience uh, over the last couple of days. I think we got a couple pictures. We got uh, Kenny and Dana. Some guys were leading us in worship. We had a sweet time of worship. Uh, you guys were praying for us and we were praying and your prayers were covering us as we were praying. That's that wall in the middle. We have this big prayer board. Over here we had Jody Godfrey teaching. Jody just gave the most beautiful, personal, intimate message. I'm listening to this guy like, this is the best talk I've ever heard. And then Doug Anderson next to him, he gave a talk and I'm sitting there thinking, this is the best talk I have ever heard. And in between there was Brady Smith. I was like, Brady, this is the most amazing talk. And then we got some guys out there praying and we did some devotions together, as I mentioned earlier. It was absolutely amazing. I've said this a few times before, but last night as I was driving home, I said to my wife on the phone, I was trying to explain what was going on. She was like, well, tell me about it. And I said, well, babe, I just can't tell you about it. I don't, I mean, like, and we talked for a long time and I don't know that I actually ever told her anything. I was kind of at a loss for words, but I did say this. I've never been more honored to be the pastor at Sanctuary than I, than I was at this retreat. Like, like watching these guys and, and being in it with them in my own life, working out my salvation in fear and trembling and learning what it means to honor my body as God's treasure and to honor my mind as God's treasure and to honor my soul as God's treasure. It's amazing. Well, back to Matthew 17, verse five, Peter's got this great idea that they should just stay up there, you know. Verse five says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Jesus hears the voice of God. And so does Peter and James and John. 
And this mountaintop experience would never leave his disciples. It was something that they would think about and something that they would talk about. And it was something that Peter even wrote about in his letter to the churches, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, 17, and 18. Listen to Peter. This is probably more than 20 years later. Peter writes about it. He says, For we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter's still talking about it. He can't get over it. He would know the challenge of believing this voice of God. He would know the temptations. He would know the whispers. And yet, of all people, he's the one that says, this is what I heard. This is what I believe. This is what I want to tell you about. But the voice is not just for Peter. The voice is for you and me. I'm sure you, I'm sure you caught this. The same thing here at the end of Jesus' ministry. The same thing that God told him at the end of his ministry is what he told him at the beginning of his ministry. This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. When Jesus heard the voice for the first time, he was ready to begin his ministry. This time, Jesus hears the voice, says the same thing, and now Jesus is ready to suffer. Now Jesus is ready to die. For Jesus, what he heard from God twice would be enough. We all want God to say something great. We all want God to say, this is going to be amazing and you don't have to worry about anything and everything's going to be awesome. But this time when God speaks to Jesus, it's to prepare him to suffer. Prior to his suffering, he reminds his son, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. We all want Jesus to speak, but none of us want to hear Jesus speak something that's preparing us for suffering. But what if it is? You, my son, whom I love, with you, I am well pleased. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be great. It might be enough to remind us because what comes next may not be so great. You are my daughter with whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. But what comes next might not always be so great. But that blessing shapes our identity enough for us to stand in faith when suffering comes. I pray this morning that you will hear his voice, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley or in ministry or in suffering, you are his beloved. And with you, he is well pleased. Let's just be still for a moment here and then Sonny and the worship team will come and lead us, continue to lead us in worship and give us the invitation to respond. So let's be still and listen for his voice. <laughs>